Good morning. We're reading Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. You'll find that on pages, uh, page 857 of your pew Bible. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Please pray with me. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, We thank you so much, Father, for being our shepherd. For the one who watches over your flock. Watched over your flock so much, Father, that you've you've given us a Savior. Your Son, Jesus Christ. Who even as we we come before you and we, we worship him and we worship his birth, that you knew all along that not only would he be born into this world, but he would be nailed to a cross for our sins, Father. That he would be our Savior. That without him, we could not be reconciled to you. Lord, we thank you so much for sending him into this world. And, and please help us to keep this in mind as we go about our holiday seasons. We thank you. We thank you for this time of of worship, this time with friends, with family. We ask that you would be with, with Bob Welch as he comes up and he delivers a sermon today. We ask that you would be with him as he uh, he reads and, and speaks with your word, Father. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm happy to have the opportunity to be with you today, not so much under these circumstances, but we pray that our pastor would soon be well with his family and be back with us. Our message this morning is entitled, Peace on Earth, Goodwill Toward Men. We'll be back in our study of the book of Acts uh, next week, hopefully. But this morning we want to focus on one verse from the passage in Luke 2 that has just been read. And that is in verse 14. And we read in the English Standard Version, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I think that uh, is a better translation than the King James. But we are using the King James familiarity this morning in all the Christmas carols and uh, that which is in our hearts peace on earth, goodwill toward men. In the translation there in the pew from which we just read, we know that there will not be P 
peace on earth to everyone. Because it says in the scripture, the prophet Isaiah, there is no peace for the wicked. So we see there are the natural, there's the natural man, and there's the spiritual man. And until the natural man becomes the spiritual man through the new birth, there won't be any real peace with God. I want to invite you to turn in your hymnal to page 152, the red hymnal in front of your pew. We're not going to sing again, but I want to take a look at the words of a Christmas carol, 152, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Now, we're going to be talking about peace this morning, and after our introduction, we want to look at the possibility of peace. Is it really possible to have peace in our hearts all the time? And then ask the question, what accompanies peace? Because we really need to understand that when God gives us peace, there's something else that goes with that. And then we sang a couple of weeks ago, peace like a river. It is well with my soul. And we want to talk about how we get that peace and how that could encourage us during this Christmas season. Well, take a look at stanzas 1 and 3 and 4. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Yet peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. In 1863, our nation was torn by the dreadful Civil War. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was a professor at Harvard College. He hated the war. He was particularly distraught when he received word that his son Charles had been wounded in battle. So he was sitting in his study on Christmas Day, 1863, and he heard the church bells pealing out the announcement of Christ's birth on that day, Christmas. And he thought about it, and he wrote uh, these words. The bells were the inspiration for him. Seven of the original stanzas that we don't, several of the seven, uh, were a protest against the war. We would have to agree that 155 years later, hate is still strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Certainly that's true if we think of nations and if we think of the personal attitudes of people in homes and families and marriages and communities. There's a lot of hatred that seems to pervade our country now. Well, the possibility of peace. Here's a Christmas card. Millions of them will be sent out this year. Not all like this one, but this says, Wishing you peace in the quiet moments of the season and peace through each day in the new year. Well, in the quiet moments of the season, what about the hectic moments of the season? What about the fearful moments of the season? Is it possible to know God's peace as believers 
uh, during that time and every day of the year. So let's ask ourselves some questions here as we consider this. Will you and I be able to personally hang on until the wrong shall fail and the right prevail in whatever aspect of life we may be suffering in the area of peace? In other words, where do we rank this morning on the peacefulness scale? Are we somewhere over on the tranquility end? Or are we approaching the nth degree of excessive exasperation? Now, when we carry these things in our hearts, uh, usually we have a pretty good countenance on our faces, but we do understand that we have burdens and that God gives us the answer to those burdens in Scripture. So we want to look at some Scriptures this morning, and I trust that you can follow along in the Bible. Did anyone in the Bible ever say there would be peace on earth? Yes, the prophets did. The psalmist did, Zechariah, back in uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10. Uh, David, in Psalm 37, 11, The meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And then the angels that we read this morning, declaring peace on earth. Did Jesus declare peace on earth? No. He said just the opposite. Matthew 10 beginning in verse 34. Jesus speaking, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, a brief word of explanation would be necessary here. Jesus didn't intend to convey the idea that his purpose or goal in coming to earth was to bring conflict or dissension. Remember, he's the Prince of Peace. But one of the results of his coming is that the division in those two categories of people, the natural man, the spiritual man, becomes obvious. And many people don't like the gospel. The natural man hates God, really. We see the testimony in Scripture. Some just seem like they don't care. But when we look at the situation, we see a lot of times people are against the Christian witness that we might have at Christmas time or any other time. And we want to get the Bible out of the schools and out of public life and all of those things because we don't want to mix up uh, the church and the state. It's sin in a person's heart that causes them to hate the gospel. There's nothing wrong with the gospel. The gospel is good news. But the natural man naturally hates it. So, what is it going to be? Peace or a sword? The angels say peace. Jesus says a sword. What accompanies peace? That's our question. 
In another passage, Jesus clarifies that it is going to be peace and a sword. Turn to uh, John, Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. Christ wants us to be prepared for both. Uh, We live at a blessed time in history, in a good place. We don't see so much of the sword, but it's there. And sometimes we see it even in our own families. Luke 16.33, Jesus speaking, I have said these things to you. Now the things he said was that he's going back home to the Father. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So during this holiday season, don't be surprised if you run into some trouble along the way on this business of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And you may observe others who would be struggling with the effects of stress, increased uh, crime rates, including domestic violence, anxiety, fatigue, unhappiness, alcoholism, substance abuse, struggles with depression and hopelessness. These things seem to rise up during the holiday season. According to Jesus, you can expect both peace and trouble. But you've got to know what to do with it. So let's check our definition. In the Greek language, peace, arene, comes from a primary verb, ero, to join. It means to set at one again. And you can think of the child's nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. But Jesus could, if necessary. Because Jesus specializes in reconciliation. His ministry is specializing in reconciling. And when you are reconciled to those whom you have offended, or to God, or to those who have offended you, then you have quietness and rest in your heart. That's the peace that Jesus came to bring. Reconciliation. I turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have a description of the peace that Jesus came to bring. Beginning in verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now that right there is really good news for a lot of people who need to put the past aside and move on to something better. 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, the Greek word for reconcile here means to change or to exchange, uh, get rid of something, put something else in its place. 
And we see the explanation for that in the very next verse, 21. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Christ the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We exchange our sin for his righteousness. And when we understand the implications of sin, that transaction can really bring peace in our hearts. The only way that we're going to ultimately know peace. Now the verb form of irene, peace, also means to reconcile. And you remember shalom, the Hebrew word for peace. And it means wholeness, empty, put back together again ourselves put back together again in terms of emotional struggles that we have, in terms of relationship problems, all of those kind of things. All across this land and all across the world, that's what people need to be reconciled and to be made whole. But the only way they'll ever have peace in their lives would be to be reconciled with God first and then to be reconciled with others including those in their own home and families, reconciled with themselves in their own hearts. Now, it's not always possible to be reconciled with others, but God says, as much as it lies within you, be at peace with all men. So we do what we can and leave the results to God. Why don't more people get in on peace? Why don't more... Christians have a peaceful demeanor and down in their hearts, no peace. Well, they may not understand that in this world, peace and trouble come together. We are in a world that is under a curse. Uh, Years ago, I heard an evangelist, Ron Dunn, say, good and bad come on the same track and they can arrive in your life at just about the same time. We want to be looking for the good. We don't want to camp out on the trouble. We want to understand that God has a purpose in everything that's happening in our lives. And His purpose is to bring glory to Him in our response and also to conform us to the image of His Son. We've often asked the question, uh, what do you learn more out of prosperity? When do you learn more? out of prosperity or out of adversity. So God sometimes allows us to go through adversity so that he can refine us as gold is refined in the fire. And we see those in Scripture, Joseph, Daniel, Moses, Jesus, Paul, who went through great adversity, and God used that to encourage them and to encourage many others. Well, people in our world, don't see how that could be. If bad stuff is happening in your life, how could that be any good? They don't understand God's ways and God's purposes for us to join in the fellowship of the suffering of Christ. So if you ask someone the definition of peace, including many Christians, including Webster's Dictionary, it would say something like the cessation of war, I would talk about the elimination of hostilities and the eradication of stress. Now, honestly speaking, are there going to be seven consecutive days in your life 
where you score on even one, <coughs> excuse me, on even one of those categories. Uh, it's tough times in this world. Uh, Jesus underwent the opposition and the affliction and the tribulation. And if we're following him, he says, take up your cross daily, follow me. Sometimes we look for peace in the wrong places. And we think if we can just get all of our needs met and have the things that we want to have, then I would have peace in my heart. When you get a case of the got-to-haves, it's hard to be peaceful. But that's not the right place to look for peace. We're talking about togetherness, wholeness, completeness. It means inwardly, Things are the way they should be with ourselves and God, irregardless of what's going on in our circumstances. And that's how Christians throughout the ages could face persecution, could face terrible torture and death, because they had peace in their hearts. And the circumstances and the people and the things in their life didn't dictate the measure of peace that they had. So the peace enables us to endure and trust God, to bring help, to bring hope, to bring healing, or maybe to bring heaven. Because heaven is a wonderful place. Uh, You know the song. We know God knows what's best. Augustine defined peace as the tranquility of order. That's pretty good when you think about it. God says, let everything be done properly and in an orderly manner. But as we look at the chaos in our lives, oftentimes, it doesn't look like it's very orderly. But look at Jesus' life in the beginning of his public ministry. They were trying to kill him all along. And somehow he slipped through the crowd. It wasn't his time yet. So we can know that God has things in order, and we can respond with tranquility knowing that we can't look to our own understanding, but trust in Him with all of our hearts. Now, how should things be? Well, arguing and wrangling and bickering and bitterness are not the way things ought to be. A divided family is not the way things should be. A spouse who has given up on the marriage is not the way things should be. A husband abandoning his family is not the way things should be. And yet oftentimes we see those kinds of things because of the absence of peace. If I could just be in these circumstances rather than these circumstances, then I would feel good about myself, about life, and I could serve the Lord or fill in the blank, whatever it might be. So we come to the third section here. We've seen what accompanies peace. And now we want to talk about how do you get peace like a river? And what does that mean? That analogy comes from the prophet Isaiah. And we say when we have peace like a river attending our way, then it is well with our souls. But what is peace like a river? When I was a boy growing up in Mississippi... Uh, We used to go down to fish on the Pascagoula River and some of the tributaries there. And it was a very slow, calm, deep south, southern river. 
and you could be sitting in the boat and you'd be drifting downstream unless you had the anchor out, but you didn't even realize because it was going so slow. Uh, not the turbulent river that we see in the floods around here, but just a calm and peaceful until the uh, moccasins start swimming toward the boat. So that's the kind of peace Isaiah is talking about. I am the Lord your God. This is Isaiah chapter 48, beginning in verse 17. I'm the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. So where is the peace? Like a river. Uh, many times we see that Christians have seem to have as much conflict as people in the world. And it seems that they don't know what to do uh, with that conflict. We're certainly not suggesting that if you have God's peace, it's just going to be an easy life. But you'll have the grace to overcome those challenges, especially in greater measure. So if we're talking about obeying His commands, oh, that you had obeyed my commands, what are Christ's commands? Now, He's made it simple for us. Not easy, but simple. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then you may have peace like a river. Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I don't typically think about obeying God as being just the source of peace in my life. But really it is, isn't it? When I know that what I'm doing is well-pleasing to God, that gives me a certain calmness inside. And especially when I know that the result of that or the outcome or the challenges or the obstacles would be there because God either put them there or allowed them to be there. Just like the men and women we see in Scripture. So if you want this wholeness in Him, this tranquility of order, then we have to hearken to the commands. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 13.11 Now, we're not talking about earning salvation by keeping the law, certainly. But Jesus says a number of times, if we love Him, we'll keep His commands. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11 Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, that agreeing with one another, that's a tall order, isn't it? But we have to find areas where we can agree, where the Longhorns can agree with the Aggies and whatever it might be. The very next verse, 12, is an interesting verse, just in passing. Greet one another with all this peace. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Wouldn't that be something? If we came to church on Sunday morning and kissed everybody, some people would love it. They'd be lining up to get ready. Other people probably wouldn't even come. Have you ever wondered what that verse means? 
just in passing, let's take a look. Matthew Henry is a wise commentator. Here's what he says on that holy kiss. God would have them testify their affection to one another by the sacred rite of a kiss of charity, which was then used in the New Testament. But long has been disused to prevent all occasions of wantonness and impurity in the more declining and degenerate state of the church. Well, that's pretty accurate observation. The declining and degenerate state of the church. But we want our church to be vibrant and growing because we have that uh, peace that passes all understanding and we can pass that along to others. Now, we said it, but we need to say it again. The only way to have the peace of God is to be at peace with God. And how do you get peace with God? Well, you acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And sometimes through the years have been amazed to me that I've known people who just, they were in the church, they were serving the Lord, and then uh, they said they became Christians way later on because it just didn't click. They just didn't really uh, repent. In fact, I talked to a guy who was in this church. This is an older man, grown children, not too long ago. And he lives elsewhere in the United States. And I saw him and he said, I've become a Christian. Well, this guy was, he was teaching the Word. But he decided he really wanted to get right with the Lord. Now, there's nothing mystical about that. It's just acknowledging my sin, asking him to forgive me, but asking him to come into my life and take control of my life. That's the key. If we're going to have peace, we've got to say with Christ, not my will, but thy will be done. So during this holiday season, uh, let me remind you of three categories that can rob your peace. And we've talked about this a good bit, some of our Bible studies. But it would be circumstances, it would be people, and it would be things. Things like automobiles and houses and income taxes and all of those kind of things. And in the little book of Philippians, chapter 1, Paul tells you what to do with the circumstances. Chapter 2, he tells you what to do with people, how to respond to them. Chapter 3, with things. Whatever things are to my gain, I count for loss, he said. But in chapter 4, he tells you what to do with anxiety about circumstances, people, and things. Now, ask yourself right now, can you think of a verse that really sums it up to tell you what to do? Well, while you're thinking, let me tell you about a man who had no peace. This was a guy living in the year 1741 in London, England. He didn't have any peace at all. In fact, all he had was tribulation. He was not reconciled even with himself. He believed in God, but at 56 years of age, he felt like a failure. He was growing old. He was experiencing poor health. He was almost blind and near bankruptcy. He had been a top name in the music world. He was the Elvis of his day, but with the exception that his music honored the Lord. 
But now he was a has-been. His greatest fear was that any day he would be hauled off to debtor's prison in despair. Anything but peace in this man's life. One day on a warm day in August, he got a knock at the door. It was the mail carrier. Oh, no. He was fearful it would be another harsh notice from the bill collector, another dunning letter from his creditors. But that day, there was good news in the mail. One letter was from an old friend of his, the Duke of Devonshire, and he invited him to come and conduct a series of benefit concerts for the Mercer's Hospital and for several prisons uh, that they would raise money to help these people. That was the first letter. That could have helped him to escape from some of his troubles in London, but it was the second letter that made his tour in Ireland unforgettable, even today. The letter came from an old friend, a kind of a rich, eccentric guy who had a lot of foolish ideas and bizarre notions. Most would have hardly given any thought to a piece of correspondence from this Mr. Charles Jennings, but this sick man opened up the letter with uncommon enthusiasm. He was looking for anything that would encourage him. And what do you think was in the letter? Bible verses, excerpts of Scripture. And Mr. Jennings had decided to look up in the Bible all the verses that told the story of the Messiah, Old Testament, New Testament. And so he wrote those verses down and sent them to our man. And he also recommended that he would take these verses and put them into a popular form of music called an oratorio in that day, something new. It was kind of like opera, except without the costumes and the staging. But it told a story from the Scriptures. So you got not only entertainment, you got some good teaching to go along with it. And so this gentleman began to think, what could he do? So he began to read through the passages. And as he read through the passages, God spoke to him. And he was both encouraged and inspired. And so you know what happened then on August 27th, 22nd of 1741, he locked himself in his room and he went to work. Over the next 24 days, George Frederick Handel composed the most familiar and best-loved oratorio of all times. He called it Handel's Messiah. We call it Handel's Messiah. He told his friends, I did think, I did see the heaven open before me and the great God himself. Now, think of it. This was really inspired, I think, by the Lord. Not like the Bible is inspired. But in 24 days, he cranked out the entire thing. If you've ever been to the complete Messiah, it's about 2 hours and 17 minutes. The score is 259 pages and about a quarter of a million notes. 24 days, that's 3 weeks at 10 hours a day or something thereabout. That's 15 notes per minute of continuous writing. And then three days to get all the orchestration. This is really amazing what God 
allowed this man to do. So on April 13th, we're thinking about Easter here, not so much Christmas, Handel performed the newest musical work in Ireland, and he could barely see the crowd because of his encroaching blindness. But he could hear from their response that they were well pleased with the offering. And he was on his way with that to a dynamic comeback in his career. Through the years, God has used the Messiah, presentation of the Messiah, to raise millions of dollars for a charity and for the enjoyment of Christian people, especially at Christmas time. What did God use to restore Handel's prosperity and peace? He used the scriptures. Scriptures that present the facts about God as opposed to the ideas of men. Now, men may hit the truth, but they may not. God gives us the truth in Scripture instead of the speculations many times that men would give. And I think that's the reason the Apostle Paul tells us that our weapons, our spiritual weapons, are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds and that we can destroy speculations and take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. What we think about in our minds is going to determine the peace that's in our hearts. And if we're focused on the trouble that's coming down the pike, uh, then it's going to be hard to maintain that peace every day of the year, as the Christmas card said. So uh, keep in mind that uh, we want to exchange this tribulation that the world offers for peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And the way we would do that is take the scriptures and apply them in our lives. So before we go, I want to give you some scriptures that would be helpful. Now keep in mind that God gives more grace as the burdens grow greater, as the poem says, and hope and peace come after the battle. There may be many battles in this war while we're here on this earth. But God gives us the equipment for the battles. In Ephesians 6, the armor. He gives us a captain to lead us in the battle. He gives us a purpose for which to fight. And so we are ready, but we got to be faithful. Romans 12, 17 and 18. Romans 12. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. We mentioned that one. Romans 14 and verse 19. Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14. Excuse me. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now that's an interesting verse. Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. But if I'm pursuing holiness, there are going to be some trying times along the way just like there were for Jesus. And we need that peace to carry us through. First Peter 3, verse 10 and 11. This is a good one. 
For he that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him hate evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. We're supposed to be focusing, uh, striving for, forgetting what lies behind, but reaching toward what lies ahead to the way of peace. Matthew 9, uh, Matthew 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Do you think you'll have an opportunity during the holidays to be a peacemaker? Many of us will. Here's the verse that tells you how to deal with the circumstances, the people, and the things that rob our peace. You know what it's going to be. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's really a good one. We pray, we make petition of the Lord, but we offer thanksgiving because God tells us to give thanks in all things for this is His will for us in Christ Jesus. Now remember that Scripture is not a formula for instant quietude and restful repose. I can't just uh, flip open and pray the little verse and I have instant peace. It's a lifestyle. I've got to be living out these things. The Scriptures offer grace and strength for this life of many battles, spiritually, that we are fighting. And it's also uh, the means of grace in our lives as God speaks to us through His Holy Spirit as we're in the Scripture to strengthen us with resolve for the battle that lies ahead. Will there be some trouble? Well, yes, there will be trouble. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So just know that uh, there's a lot of good that's coming to you. God is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. But you will run into some trouble along the way. And when you do, you want to go back to some of these verses. Seek peace. Pursue it. Try to be at peace with all men. If you're here today and you have not personally committed your life to Christ, this would be a good time to do it and enjoy a new sense of peace for the Christmas season. Maybe you were a child and you joined the church and you believed in God, but you didn't really make the decision that you wanted Him to be the captain of your soul. And maybe you didn't always really follow Him and serve Him. But the good news is, whatever you did when you were nine years old, you can really get in business with the Lord today. For the Christian, the trouble that comes in our lives is like the goldsmith using the fire to refine the ore. And we have a goldsmith 
who has infinite wisdom. He knows what we need. He knows just how high to turn up the heat in our lives. He knows how to enable us to rejoice when we see some of these matters that take away our peace resolved in our lives. So we can know peace like a river as we obey Christ's commands. And I want to close with Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the word of truth, the scripture, you've given us everything we need for a life and godliness. We thank you that we have many copies of the Bible in our homes, and we have a lot of other things that help us to understand the Bible. We pray, Lord, that we might camp out on the truth of your word. Uh, We pray, Lord, that we would look at the scriptures and not the ideas of men, the facts that you give us in the Bible. Lord, we pray that in this coming Christmas season, we might be an encouragement and a source of peace to those about us. We pray especially for family situations where there may not be uh, the peace of God. We pray that we might be light bearers. And then we ask, Lord, that during the busy times, during the hectic times, that we might hearken back to your word that tells us not to be anxious about anything, but rather to pray and rather to keep in mind these great and precious promises that you have given us. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.